Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. In season one of this podcast, I did a episode on wolf stories from the pioneer days and wolf encounters. And I focused primarily on newspaper accounts in that episode. In today's episode, I'm going to explore more wolf encounter stories, but these were all taken from historical biographies and accounts of various counties around Southwest Michigan. And I've been pouring through a lot of these old writings, and I came up with several very interesting wolf encounter stories. So I thought I would share them with you in this episode, as the last one was very popular. So let's dig into it. Wolf Encounter Stories from the 1800s. So the first account that I have here is from A History of Kent County, Michigan. And this book is available if you search on the University of Michigan Library website and you'll be able to locate it. It's called A History of Kent County. And this story comes from page 284 and it describes one of the settlers that um, his name was James T. Crumback, and it's not specifically about him, but it is about the early founding of Kent County. And Crumback was a native of Wayne County, New York, and he was born on January 31st, 1808. And in 1811, his parents moved to Ontario, Canada. And then in 1824, at the age of 16, he came to the county which is known today as Kent County. And he was traveling with a band of Indians on a hunting and trapping expedition. And then in 1853, he located land in what's now known as Gaines Township, and he took possession of it as a landholder many years later. And he described it as the country being largely in its original condition. It was infested with wild animals. There was plenty of Indians still about. And he won a lot of wide renown as a deer hunter. And he had a lot of adventures and anecdotes of his experiences over the years to share with other citizens of the time. In fact, the first year of his residence in the township, he killed 158 deer. And from first to last, the aggregate of his successes with that kind of game alone, numbered 2,997 deer, besides other varieties of animals. So it goes on to describe some other settlement in this particular township, but at the very bottom of this article, it describes, among the resolutions passed at the first meeting in the township was one offered by a man named Orson Cook, who provided that a tax of $2.50 be raised for every wolf killed in the township. Wolves were rather troublesome neighbors in those days, and the author of the resolution thought that was the solution for resolving the problem essentially putting a bounty on wolves. And that is a common theme that you're going to see here. So that was the first wolf reference that I found that was related to Kent County. There's a whole bunch of other interesting wolf stories coming up here, but I just wanted to share that point with you that a lot of the early townships and settlers had these meetings, and I'm going to repeat some of them in different townships around southwest Michigan, 
as I cover them in the stories, you'll hear that same theme being repeated, that they were putting bounties on wolves in their area as they were settling land. There's another notation in 1835 in a book called A Compendium of History and Biography of Kalamazoo County, and that was on page 65, and it says, At a town meeting held in April 1834, it was voted to raise $100 as a wolf bounty, $4 to be paid for each scalp taken in the town until the money was expended. And just carrying on with that theme over in Calhoun County, uh, found in the Calhoun County souvenir of the 50th anniversary of Calhoun County on page 7, it was resolved at this meeting that a sum of $1 to be paid for the head of each wolf that may be killed in this town during the ensuing year. And that was in 1831. So the prices varied depending on where you lived between a dollar per wolf to $4 per wolf. So is there any surprise that the wolf population certainly was reduced from all of these uh, pioneer settlers that came into the area? There is an interesting notation in a history of Berrien County and Van Buren County called the Biographical Sketches that just referenced the quantity of wolves in the area. And this describes some settlers that spent their first night in the woods of Hartford, Michigan. And this night was passed in a shanty made of a few boards and their wagon box placed against a tree they had cut down. The forest resounded through the night with the howls of wolves. Now we get into some interesting stories. In A History of Eaton County on page 458, there's a, this book was written by Samuel Durant, and he describes in the fall of 1837, William Wall, Chauncey Freeman, James Pixley, and George and James Southward went on a deer hunt in the north part of the township on a branch of the Thornapple River. James Southworth stationed himself on the runway while the others separated for the purpose of driving in the deer. Ere-long, they heard the report of James Southworth's rifle, quickly followed by a second, and next they heard him call. They returned at once and found he had been beset by two large gray wolves. He had seen three of them passing and shot one, whereupon the others turned and came close to him, one on each side, before he had time to reload. As one of the animals stepped back a little, Mr. Southworth poured some powder into his rifle and rolled a bullet down and shot the brute in the neck, but did not kill him. At that juncture, William Wall appeared, and the wounded wolf went into the thicket. Messrs. Pixley... Freeman and Wall followed to drive him out, while the two southwards stood ready to shoot. Mr. Freeman came upon the wolf lying down and looking him in the face and forgot to shoot. The animal ran out of the thicket and George Southworth shot him. And that was the account of the encounter with some gray wolves. And Mr. Samuel Durant writes a lot about wolf encounters in a history of Eaton County. And on page 432, he has this description. 
frequent incursions upon the pens and poultry yards of the settlers made by the wild denizens of the forest, and unceasingly vigilance alone prevented a complete loss of their stock. Wolves would even come upon the doorsteps, and bears made forays upon the porcine inhabitants when they ever craved a taste of bacon in the raw, and that much oftener than the settlers liked. A large bear helped himself to one of Isik Whipple's hogs one day, and Cooley walked off with him into the woods about 80 rods away and sat down to have a meal. Mr. Whipple followed, and a bullet from his rifle was sent home to Bruin's internal regions, causing the shaggy brute to drop his prey and beat an extremely hasty retreat. Mr. Whipple trying in vain to overtake him. As Rameau lost all his fowls one night through the marauding of a pack of wolves who left only their tracks and some scattered feathers to tell their foray. But those were doubtless sufficient, and the anger of Mr. Moe and his family is probably difficult to imagine. In the same book, Samuel Durant has a section on Vermontville. And in the section on Vermontville, he says, The wolves were very plenty, but never caused us much damage except taking some young pigs and some fowls. I think they killed one calf. Their howlings and serenades at times were amusing, at others annoying, especially when humans were a mile or two from home after dark and escorted by a full band of them, even at a respectful distance. We often found that they followed us when we went to a neighbor's in the evening, but unseen by us. And that was the testimony of one of the early pioneers from the early 1830s. And Samuel Durant wrote an edition called History of Ingram and Eaton Counties. And on page 486 of that book, he has a section on the early settlement of Calamo Township. And it was written in 1880, but it describes accounts from 1837 through 1841. And it describes that the first married couple that occurred in the township was Marvin Bailey and Jane Butler, and it had Sylvanius Hussaker officiating. Louisa Spaulding, daughter of P.S. Spaulding, was the first child born in Calamo, and her birth occurring on March 2nd, 1839. The death of Edgar Spaulding, January 9th, 1837, was the first in town. He was buried at Bellevue, Henry Harris officiating. And then at the very bottom here, it says, Alexander Merritt was the first postmaster, the first mail carrier, Oscar Spaulding, route from Bellevue to Odessa. First physician was John Hall. First merchant was Frank Fitch. First blacksmith was Archibald Scott. The first mill was built at Carlisle by Charles Moffat. And the first sheep brought into the town by Jonathan Dean. But their stay in Calamo was of a very short duration, as in less than three days, they were devoured by the wolves. So that was just a, a little interesting account of the early days of Calamo Township. And then I came across this reference in a history of Jackson County, Michigan, that was published in 1881, and it describes the early wilderness territory of Michigan in a very interesting way. 
and I'm just going to read it to you. It's a couple of paragraphs long, but it, it has a very unique look at the early pioneer period. And it says, in 1832, Roswell Crane, formerly of Jackson County, called at my residence on Gull Prairie and informed me that he had located near two on the west side of Battle Creek and was therefore my neighbor. It was very gratifying to learn that I had a neighbor 14 or 15 miles in the eastern direction because J.D. Pierce at Rice Creek had thus far been my nearest neighbor in that direction. So this person was living 15 miles west of Battle Creek, and this new neighbor had settled there and came over to see him. And his nearest neighbor prior to that was in the Marshall area on Rice Creek. So you kind of get an idea how everybody was so spread out during that time. Whoever thinks that the movements of the world are slow, let them compare matters and things of the present time here with those of a few years ago, when it might have been said that even since the dawn of creation, when the morning stars sang on that glorious event, that the greatest part of Michigan was unoccupied, unknown, and avoided because it was supposed to be a pestilential waste. It is within the recollection of many persons still living when Ann Arbor was the extreme west end of the habitable world, beyond which the sun went down into a bottomless morass where the frightful sounds of yelling Indians, howling wolves, croaking frogs, rattling masiguas, and buzzing mosquitoes added to the awful horrors of that dismal place. But very fortunately for us, that illusion was dispelled, so that out of that worthless region there arose one of the most beautiful, productive, and prosperous states in the Union. Michigan has the largest lakes, which are literally alive with delicious fish, the best climate, soil, crops, minerals, timbers, schools, colleges, churches, laws, smart old men and women, bright boys and good girls. And that was the end of that notation. Now, he was talking about that viewpoint of looking back from 1881, looking back at the early period of 1832, which is very unique. Now, in a history of Kalamazoo County written by Samuel Durant in 1880, there's a section on Climax Township. And it describes a meeting that was held in Climax. And it says it was voted that the town pay a bounty of $5 for each and every wolf caught and killed in the town of Climax by residents of said town, some to be paid not to exceed $100, to be allowed those who first present their claims and proof. There was good reason for offering this bounty as the wolves were exceedingly bold and rapacious at the time. On one occasion, a wolf leaped into a pen built against the side of Lovell's cabin and carried off a pig. On another occasion, they made a raid on Daniel Lawrence's pigs. Lawrence had an old sow with the pigs and had built near his house a pen of logs with an opening at the bottom and sloping to the top to keep the robbers out. On one occasion, Lawrence's attention was called by a disturbance at the pig pen, and looking out from the window, he saw a large wolf at the entrance of the pen, kept at bay by the old sow, 
while another wolf was running over the top of the pen trying to frighten the pigs within reach of the wolf at the entrance. As soon as Lawrence made his appearance at the door, the wolves made good their escape. And there's another notation in that same book on in the section on Climax Township where it says, At a meeting, the first bounty for killing wolves was paid to George Hamilton and H. McNary. From that time, frequent payments of bounties for wolves were made until the bounty was abolished. And it was abolished in 1847. Now, I came across a very interesting story in a portrait and biography of Calhoun County that was published in 1891. And it is referring to a story narrated by Milton Barney. And Milton Barney was the son of Nathaniel Barney. Nathaniel Barney had Barney's Tavern out in the Bedford Township area, and it was a stagecoach stop. Milton, his son, ran the stagecoach. And so this story takes place on one evening when a man from Detroit arrived in Battle Creek, insisted on a change of horses, and demanded that they continue the stagecoach at night heading west because he had urgent business to attend to. And so here's how the story rolls out. A reminiscence and personal experience of Mr. Barney, this is referring to Milton Barney, but not to be omitted, and we give this in his own words. It was in September of this year that Mr. Woodruff of Detroit who had the mail contract from the governor and from whom father was a subcontractor, came through in a coach, arriving in Battle Creek in the evening and called for a change of horses to go right on his way from Detroit to Chicago without a layover under any circumstances, as he was arranging important business along the line. To this, my father, and his father was Nathaniel Barney, objected, saying that the roads were bad and the night would be dark with prospects of rain, but it was no use. He called for four horses and the best driver. The horses were hitched, two lanterns with tallow candles hung in front. When father gave me, a lad of 15 years, the lines and the word to go. Mr. Woodruff objected to this and wanted to know if a more experienced and older driver could be furnished. Father said he could furnish such a one, but that he would rather trust me as I had been the most successful. My memory is that I was a careless driver, but always had good luck. Others had their upsets, breaks, etc., but I had always got through all right. With this, Mr. Woodruff was satisfied, and the coach and four started with a load of 13, including the wife of a wealthy Detroit banker who was very nervous, and two younger ladies. So he had 13 people in this stagecoach. The others were gentlemen. We proceeded six miles without any difficulty and it then grew pitch dark. In passing, a tree limb brushed off one of the lanterns, and in trying to relight it, a switch of the horse's tail extinguished the other, leaving us before the invention of matches in utter darkness. It was six miles back to Battle Creek and eight miles to Galesburg, with no houses in between. The woods exceedingly thick, the night intensely dark, and the wolves in the thicket close by. The road was very winding, each going around 
every fallen tree, and at every tip of the stage a scream from the nervous lady could be heard. Two men groped their way in advance, and I followed by their calling or by the sound of their whistling. So what he's describing here is he had two of the men in the stage get out in front of the horses and start walking so they could find the road because it was pitch black. They didn't have any matches to relight the lanterns. They had no way of relighting these lanterns in those days. So this was before the invention of matches. So when your lantern blew out in this circumstance, you were subjugated to complete darkness and you either sat there all night or you made your way in complete pitch black. So he put these guys out in front of the horses and they began groping their way through the dark to find the road and keep the stagecoach on the trail. And then he describes, just as the day was breaking after an incessant night's toil, we arrived at the brink of the creek at what is now Augusta, but there was no one living there at that time. The creek had to be forded, and we halted a short time for daylight to come and make the fording less difficult and dangerous. The nervous lady before mentioned remarked that it was only through the intervention of divine providence that we were not all killed and eaten by the hungry wolves that had howled around us all night long. Mr. Woodruff remarked that he thought that he should give the boy who had done such a good job of driving a part of the credit. Acting on this hint, she took me under her special care after that, paying for my breakfast at Kalamazoo and saying, if I ever came to Detroit, by all means, to call upon her. And that was the end of that story. It was kind of an interesting insight into the pioneer period with stagecoaches and the intermittent threat of wolves in the darkness that followed the trails. And they could hear them in the brush and hear them howling in the night. And it must have been quite an experience to go through that. Can you imagine riding in a stagecoach in pitch black and then having your lanterns blow out and then having to proceed with a slow pace of somebody walking before the horses and making sure you're still on the trail in the middle of the night. What a crazy experience. In this same book on portrait and biography of Calhoun County, there's a mention of a story of the Warren family that settled in the Comstock area. And they had, they described it as their sheep were frequently killed by wolves, which were very numerous, as were deer and other smaller animals. And I'm going to close out this episode with a story of a man named Calvin Hill from 1840. And it was published in A History of Allegan and Berry Counties. And this event happened in 1840. Calvin Hill recalls how in the year 1840, he went one night across lots through the snow to visit his father. And how upon returning, he was chased by a pack of wolves. Grievous was his dismay, and great was his haste as he fled towards his home before his ferocious pursuers. But fortune favored him in giving him but a short distance to cover before reaching his house, else he might not have been spared to tell the story. As it was, he reached his dooryard just as the leader of the hungry horde was close upon him. With a loud cry, Hill leaped over the fence at that instance, his wife appeared at the doorway with the light, and the wolves, suddenly appalled by the cry and the light, stopped short, and then, in a thrice, their intended victim was safe within the walls of his cabin. So that 
we'll leave you with what it was like and what some of the experiences of the pioneer settlers were with wolves living amongst them during the early settlement years in the state of Michigan. And that's going to conclude today's episode. If you like today's stories, if you could take a moment and explore your Apple app or your Spotify app and leave me a review or perhaps leave me a comment and tell me what you thought. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. If you'd like to support the work that I'm doing here, there are links on my website for donations. If you want to make a one-time or reoccurring donation to Tales of Southwest Michigan's past, it would be greatly appreciated. And if you know someone that would be interested in advertising on the podcast this year, please have them look up my website and fill out a advertising contact form on there. And uh, I'd love to hear about their business and see if it fits with advertising on this podcast. As you probably don't know, or maybe you are aware, I fund all of the work that I do in history research and production and creation of this podcast entirely on my own. And so it's always appreciated sometimes when I get a contribution now and then to help me along with the work that I'm doing. And on the website, you can certainly reach out to me if you have any suggestions for future subjects of podcast episodes. I've got some very incredible ones coming up. I also have uh, some other incredible guests that are lined up. So it should be uh, a really fun year coming up here and a lot of interesting new episodes coming your way very soon. So until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.